When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Noel. Our compatriot, Matt, will return soon. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, It's that time of the week again. It's time for listener mail, and we have some very interesting things, uh, things on the docket Today, folks, uh, this, as you know, is something that we we spend a lot of time curating. We go through our phone line, one eight three three stdwytk We go through our email, conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Uh, we speak to folks uh, all the time across social media platforms. And then we try to we try to find the pieces of communication that we think our fellow listeners will enjoy or need to hear, because, Noel, sometimes we've gone to some dark places with these. 
Yeah, we have, and likely will continue to do so. Today, uh, mine anyway, is is a little on the dark side. Uh, but yeah, I should try to inject a little levity into the proceedings. How about you, Ben? You, you dark or light today? Uh, this is this is both. I would describe this one as heavy and profound. As a matter of fact, let's start there with an email from an anonymous listener that I'm going to call Anonymous Voltaire. And let's Love start it. with <laughs> let's start with the uh, the inspiration for that nickname at the very end of your email. This is a good tease, I think. Uh, anonymous Voltaire, you wrote. Due to the illegal nature of this subject, I will remain nameless on your show because, as in the words of Voltaire, it is dangerous to be right on matters in which the established authorities are wrong. Pretty good tease, right? To put oh. that, put the end at the beginning there. Um, I agree. Very bold. <laughs> we're playing with time a little bit here because anonymous Voltaire's email is about something that. Many of our fellow listeners have written to uh, to ask us questions about the past, uh, including uh, Bridget B., who suggested our series on the dark side of the fashion industry. Here's what Anonymous says. I've been listening for a long time now, considered writing in many times, but none of uh, but they were all for little details that didn't feel like they they were worth the email. However, says Anonymous, I have been going back through some of the episodes I missed over the last year and was inspired to share a story with you all. I had put this off for a couple weeks, but after last week's episode on drug addiction and rehab, I feel my subject fits in perfectly because my story is about Ibogaine. And we've talked about Ibogaine a little bit in the past, right, Noel? Is that a drug? I, well, I don't know what this is. Sorry. <laughs> that sounds like a, it makes me think of the term EBITDA, which is like a financial term. I don't think I remember Ibogaine. Help me out. Oh, I remember EBITDA and OIBITDA. That, mm-hmm. was, that, was a, that was a fun meeting. The first time I learned about those and tried not to laugh. <laughs> exactly, Very serious exactly. man I know, talking I know. to us. Uh, <laughs> yes. So we've talked a little bit briefly about this uh, substance. Anonymous says, I feel certain you can make a full show about this subject if you haven't already because of its mysterious and dynamic history uh, from its sacramental spiritual use in the Bwiti tribe of West Africa to Howard Lotsoff's discovery and promotion of its anti-addictive properties in Ibogaine to the laws of U.S. scheduling because it's illegal here to its ban shortly after Hunter S. Thompson's famous fiasco, and finally to the rehab psychedelic tourism occurring around the world right now. But as you might say, that is a whole other bag of badgers. Nice. This is um, where he starts explaining what Ibogaine is. And I'm I'm paraphrasing here. This is a lovely letter. uh, So we're going to read excerpts of it. Uh, Ibogaine, says Anonymous, is a chemical found in a plant called Tabernath Iboga. Ibogaine is a class of chemicals called tryptamines, along with serotonin, DMT, psilocybin, and LSD, and it can cause hallucinatory and psychedelic effects when ingested in large enough quantities. People will do this most famously for addiction or trauma therapy, but none of them, the uses, anonymous means, are recreational because, get this, Noel, it is not a very pleasant experience in many ways. It causes severe ataxia lasting 24 hours or more, severe nausea for much of that 24 hours, and an inability to see clearly for over 24 hours, 
all the while stimulating the user's mind so that they are, capital letters, wide awake for that whole time. Due to these severe physical reactions, the user is bound to a bed with their eyes closed. During this period of closed-eyed sleep uh, deep thought and deep thought, many people experience visual manifestations in their mind's eye that, unlike any other psychedelic drug I have experienced, are extremely realistic and unusual and could be defined more as visions than visuals, if that makes sense. It's a vision quest. So taking that all in, the idea of ingesting this stuff sounds a lot less fun than, say, uh, microdosing or, or doing some mushrooms, right? Yeah, it makes me think of like some of the negative uh, descriptions of like salvia, for example, that I've always heard. I never, I, I think maybe I smoked fake salvia or something, but I remember someone saying it makes you feel like you're like a like a trapezoid or something, which I don't fully understand. Um, but yeah, no, it does, it does not. It sounds like all the bad parts of psychedelic uh, experimentation and none of the good. It's like p- pure paranoia and out of body, you know, discomfort and none of the like, you know, uh, catharsis. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and Anonymous goes on to tell us that despite the unpleasant aspects of this, uh, they were able to experience profound positive psychological changes. And when okay. you look at the, the history of this, Uh, It seems to be a common pattern that's reported. So despite the pretty heavy, not fun effects, it appears that numerous cultures have embraced this as a kind of medicine for alcoholism, for heroin addiction, Mm. for different um, psychological issues people are struggling with. And it's a very old, old drug. It was first uh, reported by Europeans who... Belgian and French colonists who found these communities in Africa using iboga in spiritual ceremonies. And, you know, it's coming at them through this outsider's lens, right? But the first description of this plant in European literature dates back to 1889. And then the guy Anonymous mentions there is one of the first people in the 1960s, I believe, who said, yeah, in 1962, uh, who, there was a guy named Howard Lotsoff, which Anonymous mentions, who, his story's interesting. Here's probably the best way to say it. He's the first person to publicly note the anti-addictive properties of this substance, but the way he got there is pretty harrowing. He was 19 years old, and he and five friends had had a real problem. They were all, like, they were heroin addicts. And they had tried different treatments and nothing had worked and they were getting desperate. But they noticed that doing this drug, despite the fact that it lays you out for 24 hours and their unpleasant physical effects, doing this drug significantly reduced their cravings and their withdrawal symptoms from heroin. Yeah, it's, if it's like it works, that's that's awesome. I mean, I'm really glad to hear that. And, and it certainly seems in line with some of the conversations we've had recently in the larger conversation about using psychedelics to treat addiction. Um, so many people are microdosing just for their own day-to-day kind of mental wellness. And again, we this is not medical advice. We are not here to tell anyone what to do or how to live, but it's certainly something that I have experienced uh, people having positive effects with. And the research is there to back it up. Now, I believe it was a Johns Hopkins um, study that that uh, indicated, like a double-blind study that indicated that folks who were taking psilocybin uh, were more likely to 
come out of depression uh, or to, to have positive effects um, on their depression. So yeah, I think that this all, this all, this all tracks. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing this conversation become much more mainstreamed uh, and become part of regular psychotherapy. You know, that's just me personally, in my opinion. Um, but I, I, I do, I do see it as a very positive thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's on the way because of the, some of the stigmas are being shed. I think um, the conversation is definitely changing, but there was a really interesting series of events. So when psychoactive or hallucinogenic substances are illegal, it becomes a little more complicated for people to conduct research with them. So in a very real way, some of the hardline drug laws in different countries have stymied what appears to be valuable, meaningful medical research. And now that some of that research is coming out, the facts are proving that there may be efficacy to many of these substances. I'd like to give everyone a taste of Anonymous's story here uh, with their personal experience. This is where my story starts. They say, many years ago, I was asked to help a friend procure this medicine for her. Since I have an obscure skill set, I was able to make this happen, but she was hesitant to take a risk on an unknown compound extracted from an unknown plant sample sent from an unknown person in Cameroon. So I obliged her and tried it first to confirm. The 24 hours that followed were awful, as in full of awe, objectively better than awesome, but I only want to share a couple highlights. And they talk about how they had these active visual hallucinations and this person was, they said, Anonymous says they saw an elderly person in their 80s or 90s and they recognized them, but I couldn't put my mental finger on who this person was. They started getting younger, seamlessly de-aging all the way to a fetus and beyond. And I realized about halfway through, this old person was me. I was looking at myself as an old person. The feeling's indescribable. And then there's a wooden mask that floats into the vision and oh. leads them through a field of photographs that are lined up in a, quote, seemingly endless row of columns. And every so often, the mask would fly down and return with a photo. And Anonymous says, I realized I was looking at all my memories presented to me in chronological order. Each time the mask showed me a photo, it was of a moment in life that I did not like. Something I had done to someone, something someone had done to me, or something I had done to myself that was really destructive on my psyche. So while showing me this memory, it would ask me, is this you? And I would think about it and reply, no, Whoa. that's not me. That's Dang. pretty crazy, right? That's incredible. I mean, because what that person is describing is a, a negative side effect in in a way of psychedelics uh, where you, if you're having a quote unquote bad trip, right? It means a lot of times your brain keeps cycling through negative things uh, and sort of like almost like making you feel shame in some way or like just making you like see every mistake you've ever made or like, you know, Ooh. judge your life in some horrible way. Um, but that can be positive. That can be its own kind of catharsis if you learn from it. Um, and, and it's not just inflated and like alarmist, you know what I mean? So if you're actually taking a hard look at yourself and, and like having these moments flash before your eyes and assessing, is this me? And, and answering yourself, no, this is not me. Then that means you're differentiating between the, the version of yourself that you want to be and the version of yourself that you're being faced with you know 
Yes, well said. Agreed on all points. And there's a there's an excellent article in The Guardian by Alex Hannaford that I think will be of interest to you, Anonymous, if you haven't seen it, and to anybody else in the audience today who want to learn more about this. The article is titled Dying to Get Clean, Is Ibogaine the Answer to Heroin Addiction? And it begins with one of uh, with a story of another person who found themselves being a functional addict without a, a good solution to breaking the cycle of addiction. And so they also, in desperation, flew out to have a ceremony with this substance. And for a lot of people who were driven to this point, there were multiple rehab trips that didn't work. There were other uh, attempts maybe cold turkey, maybe incrementally lowering dosages and and never quite did it. But this medicine worked for this guy as well, this substance. Uh, He also did not have fun (laughs) because I don't think you're supposed to. If you look at the the ceremony that this is traditionally used in, uh, the Bwiti ceremony kind of means ancestor ceremony. And in those communities, when you do this, it's a Day, it's a multi-day uh, death and rebirth is how it's seen culturally. So it, they believe that those hallucinations and those visions are a form of you dying and a new thing returning. Surprisingly, it's not illegal everywhere. It is illegal in the U.S., but there's a thing called the Global Ibogaine Therapy Alliance that works to, I think, advocate for the monitored use of this. Uh, And the experts, just like with psilocybin, are increasingly, um, I would say, increasingly vociferous in their in their defense of this. Uh, But it's still restricted in the UK and it's outright banned in the US, which makes sense to me. I mean, it's one of only two drugs that are two plants, I think, that are scheduled that at that level of, uh, you know, danger. Mm. Right. What's the other one? Marijuana still? Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's marijuana. So weird. So weird. So here's the thing. If you want to sign up for an addiction program using this, um, you'll find a lot of, you'll find a lot of opportunities, but you have to be careful because you're probably talking to people just on the internet. Right. Uh, so one guy's experience is that he looked at a bunch of different plans, but they seemed kind of sketchy or maybe I don't want to say scams, but they seemed like they seemed expensive and, and yeah, sketchy is probably the best word. Uh, here's an example from the guardian article. Uh, the guy, the guy who was trying to find out how to use Ibogaine to cure himself. He got in correspondence one place that said the cost of a seven day addiction program was normally $8,000. However, I'd be able to credit 1,000 of that towards your airfare, at least one email said. I would need a $500 refundable deposit on a credit card, and the remaining 6,500 can be paid via wire transfer or a cashier's check. Uh, And the nurse can do a health screening over Skype. I feel like for that much money, you need a real physical. Yeah, one would imagine. What about, like, have they made any more advances in that, like, telemedicine stuff where you can literally have like robot arms that like prod you, you know, through some kind of interface. Did I make that up? 
Uh, I there's definitely if, telesurgery. I'm being I'm I'm joking, but there 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 are technologies that that they're working on that would allow you know like a human to sit in some kind of pod while a surgeon remotely does a procedure uh, yeah, from a different yeah. location. And in the future, there I'm sure there will be at the very least biofeedback devices right. that you can hook up to and get monitored on. Mm-hmm. But with this, it sounded like the nurse would be conducting a a Q and A, just self reporting your own health, which is sometimes not the best idea. But the guy does find someone he can trust, uh, uh, Dr. Anwar Jiwa in South Africa. And his story here is strange because he, these, he got these instructions that said, you know, quit doing any drugs long enough to encounter withdrawal symptoms when you get to this clinic. So this is already not a pleasant plane ride, right? For someone who's substance dependent. He's flying from London to South Africa. This was strange to me. There's one detail that stood out. As soon as this guy, Jay, arrives, uh, he is given a dose of morphine, like I guess to combat those withdrawal symptoms. And then he talks about how he's given these pills of Ibogaine over the next uh, 12 to 18 hours that were a blur. He did experience visions uh, without going uh, too into detail on those, he flew back home. And uh, in the 10 months since that trip, he has not had a relapse of any sort. So that seems to be positive. But there's one thing we should end on here. Um, Ibogaine is not, in addition to not being pleasant, uh, there are strong arguments that it's also not safe. Uh, a review of medical reports of heart issues associated with Ibogaine notices that there are life-threatening complications and sudden death cases. Uh, It's estimated, according to this author, that one in 400 people die from taking this substance because they have pre-existing heart conditions or they have seizures due to acute withdrawal uh, or they take opioids while also under the influence of Ibogaine. So this is not something to mess around with. If you are... um, if you are a person who recreationally ingests various drugs, just to see, right? Just to have an experiment, weird fun time. Um, do be very careful about confusing Ibogaine with a recreational substance. It sounds like it is very much not. Uh, but we enjoyed this email, Anonymous Voltaire. Uh, I know that's just a nickname I made up for you, but I hope you like it. Uh, please send us your stories about visions on Ebogain. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be honest, Noel. I would try it. Yeah, I think I would too. I, but, but we, I think we both want it to be uh, under the guidance of a medical professional. Yeah, right. I, or I don't, at the very least, a shaman of some sort. Mm-hmm. And with that, uh, stay safe, everybody. Uh, let us know about your experiences, and we'll pause for a word from our sponsor. Then we'll return. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. You see what I say, Noel? That one's kind of heavy. It could help people, but it could kill them. Uh, and <laughs> that, the speaking of segues, uh, that makes me think of something really similar that's going on with our our old pal uh, Billy G that you met in person. Billy G. Bill Gates. Oh God! Sorry. <laughs> That's right. The, the, the thing that I most remember about that encounter was how little security he had. He had one kind of intense looking dude. They, they clearly had a whole nother hotel room rented next door to the room where it was for Stuff You Should Know. Josh and Chuck uh, interviewed him because he literally wanted to be on Stuff You Should Know and they never have guests. So that was like a very unique thing. Uh, but he was promoting, he's got all these initiatives as we know. He was promoting this clean energy initiative. But the thing that Bill Gates is most known for for, I think, outside of like, you know, Microsoft and and all that is uh, public health initiatives. He's he's really big on fighting malaria, for example, um, in, in third world countries and um, just the whole idea. He, he did honestly predict what we're going through right now, you know, the, the global pandemic uh, years ago. He said that the next big crisis isn't going to be you know, uh, a terrorist crisis. It's not going to be like war. It's going to be a biological crisis and we're not prepared for it. You know, he, he said this in some kind of Ted talk situation. Um, 
because of all of the moves that he makes in that world, he 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 can't and, and because he's ultimately a private citizen who has a lot of impact on policy uh, and these types of initiatives, he almost is like a one man kind of sub government in, in a weird way. Like he has so much influence and control and, and he's able to, you know, really affect a lot of change, which makes him a divisive figure to some, let us say. And one of those people that he's clearly a very divisive figure uh, to is, is our anonymous emailer who sent in a, uh, a, a wanted poster. It looks like a typical kind of mugshot with like a rundown with a name and D.O.B. and height and weight. Uh, hair is, is gray, apparently. Um, oh, education in a real sting, stinging diss here. It says college dropout. Um, net worth, $100 billion U.S., uh, and then it's got a couple of his known addresses. I guess he's got a residence in Medina, Washington, and one in Del Mar, California. Um and, you know, and then it goes into, you know, case information. And, and by the way, it's got a, like a sheriff's badge on the top left, a little emblem that says, we the people uh, in the script, you know, from the Constitution. Um, and it says, case information. Bill Gates must be stopped. His medical reign of terror and crimes against humanity are listed here. Uh, and then it, there's eight, quote unquote, crimes here, um, all of which are, are there's some grain of truth to some of them. They're pretty hyperbolic. Uh, all of them are pretty easy to Google and, and, and disprove the way the claims are made. Things like funding and planning the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, right. Like, OK, that's I think we know that Bill Gates did not fund and plan the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I think that's pretty clear that it was, you know, a uh, something that happened at a wet market in, in, in China and uh, kind of ballooned out of control. And, you know, I know there's going to be conspiracy theories surrounding this for many years to come. I'm pretty sure Bill Gates didn't single handedly, uh, you know, manufacture and distribute this virus to, to what end I, I would ask. Ben. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, it depends really on what specific conspiratorial direction someone goes here. Like it is true that he has funded research into how to handle a pandemic. Sure. But to say that's the same thing as planning to create one is a lot like saying, Hey, you know, those, uh, you know how meteorologists create hurricanes? They don't. They try to predict them, right? And try to help people uh, stay away from the natural disaster that is a hurricane. And a pandemic is not the same because it's a, um, it was a statistical certitude and has mm. been for a number of years. Right. So, so planning to get ahead of that is is not the same thing as doing it. But for people who think he was planning to um, spearhead a pandemic, then the obvious there are obviously problems with that. We discussed earlier, and one of those problems is uh, if you are doing it to reduce the world's population, which was one of the old conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. you would need to find a much more efficient virus. Yeah. COVID, COVID is good at spreading, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not killing a huge ton of, I mean, not, it's killing, it is fatal, but it's not like 50% of people aren't dying. You know? Right. And, and it, you know, again, it is largely affecting people with pre-existing conditions or the elderly or some people very young who are clearly predisposed to being, you know, uh, hit very hard by this thing, um, which is which was part of the 
paranoia of it all, right? Where it's like, you don't really know who's it going to affect, who's it going to hit. But you're right, Ben. It's not a very um, uh, successful um, tool for like mass extermination at the very least, right? We've talked about that from the start. Right. Yeah, that's correct. And also, so then if, if then the goal was not to murder a large part of the world's population, what would the other end be or like would what would the other motivations be uh so some people who believe there's a conspiracy afoot would say that uh bill gates was leading this charge because he wanted to well there's the idea that there was somehow a microchip involved right that he wanted to chip people or the idea that it was meant to justify a more and more big brother-esque surveillance state across the world. Those are two of the big ideas that I've seen. Um, the first one, the idea of injecting a microchip, easily disproven. The 5G stuff also, easily disproven. There's not not really a way physically that a, a virus could work in that regard yet. But, but it looks like uh, in the sheet that the idea of funding research into preparing for a pandemic has been kind of conflated with funding the creation of COVID-19, right? Isn't that one of the other things on the list? Sure is, Ben. Sure is. And then just, just one little last thing on this first point. It references something called Event 201, mm-hmm. um, which is a uh, pandemic simulation, Basically, it's uh, it's, it was hosted by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, along with the World Economic Forum and the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security uh, in in New York on October 18th, 2019. Um, So I guess the argument there is like, oh, they they predicted it. It happened. They 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 already knew it was coming and they were like testing this out. This is exactly the kind of stuff they do all the time. You know, like I said, I mean, it was years ago that he made that talk that I was talking about that uh, very much, very specifically predicts this is the kind of thing that could happen. And, you know, when you start going down these rabbit holes, like this document uh, kind of outlines, you start to think of Bill Gates as like almost like this Ozymandias character um, from the Watchmen comic series. And then I don't want to spoil anything. So good if you haven't read it, but also, and also the HBO uh, kind of, uh, I guess sequel. It's, it's very much its own thing. It's wonderful. Uh, deals with this as well. But it's the idea of like someone kind of manufacturing some sort of plague or some sort of event that that calls a huge swath of the population in order to save the world. Like you gotta yeah. gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet and all that stuff. So yeah, if you start getting into like these megalomaniacal, grandiose kind of visions of saviorship or whatever, saviorhood Ooh. by a, you know, very, very wealthy person. That's what I always think of. Um, but I just don't see it here. Uh, and this event 201, yeah, I guess the timing's, I don't think it's that weird. Again, they do, they run these kind of simulations all the time. But Yeah, the, uh, I talked about yeah. this on a previous episode at kind of at length because this is one of the first things that came out when COVID was really hitting. There were people who were saying, well, the guys were planning on this since 2019, but but they weren't. Uh, it's sort of like planning on a reaction to a thing is not planning on creation of the thing, right? Fire, fire drills 
like when a building's property managers conduct fire drills, it doesn't mean they're ready to burn the building down or they're hoping it burns down. They're hoping to make sure everyone can get out safely. And Event 201 is a kind of a modeling exercise based on fears of a growing number of epidemics. COVID did not occur in a vacuum. Um, I, I, I just, I remember this conversation in particular because I received a lot of correspondence from people who, in a very respectful way, to be fair, uh, said that we were part of the cover-up. I, did, I don't know if you saw any of those, but it's always so flattering. Like we, like the like three we, of us. Yes, like we were part of the part of the smoke and mirrors cool. of the pandemic. When do we get our check for that participation? I don't know. It's like every you know when people write and ask if we're uh, company men, if we're CIA. I always wonder. Do you know how much money we don't make? Right, <laughs> to be CIA. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, and the list goes on. The, the next one, that, that the first one was specifically funding and planning the COVID-19 pandemic at Event 201. So it was, this is on October 19th, 2019, Bill Gates funded a simulation of today's pandemic six weeks in advance. Again, okay. Um, we don't have to go through all these. They, they get kind of more and more alarmist and bizarre as the list goes on. But I want to address the second one here. Um, Funding the development of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, Bill Gates is a major funder of the Perbright Institute, uh, UK, that owns the patent to the virus. That is absurd. Um, the Perbright Institute um, is a virology research institute out of the UK that does research with coronaviruses. Let's not forget the coronavirus is sort of this like grandiose name because it was just like it's like the big one. But coronaviruses are a thing. They're like a class of viruses. SARS, MERS. Right. Yeah. So anyway, um, I, I just, my, 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 all this to say, Bill Gates does have a problematic relationship with uh, public health, though. There's a, a really interesting article um, in the New Republic uh, with a very also kind of hyperbolic uh, title of how Bill Gates impeded global access to COVID vaccines. The, the title is a little less hyperbolic than the image of him at the top. It's like an illustrated image where he's got horns and like weird pustules, like kind of dripping off his face mm -hmm. and he's green and there's flames in the background, um, which it looks yeah, great. It's, it looks a, great it's, it's, it's well designed, but good Lord. Uh, it seems a little, a little uh, yellow, you know, journalism wise for the new Republic, but maybe I'm giving them more credit than they deserve. It's a great article though. And it does go through uh, a lot of the kind of fraught relationship that Bill Gates has had with public health. And a lot of it has to do with this idea of intellectual property uh, of, of open vaccine availability rather than monopoly vaccine or monopoly, monopoly medicine. medicine, monopoly medicine. Exactly. That's um, the, uh, that's the phrase that the uh, opponents of IP practices in pharmaceuticals would use. Right? That's exactly right. And, and you know, you got to consider the source. A lot mm. of the people that are quoted in this article are from organizations that specifically are about something called like pool vaccines or, or like pooling, the essential pooling resources. So the rising tide carries all vessels and everyone gets the vaccine quickly, as opposed to just, you know, we know that it's Moderna, um, AstraZeneca, which isn't even available here. That's only available, I think, in Europe, right? Um, mm -hmm. Pfizer, obviously, was, I think, first to the table. Um, 
Yeah. And, and uh, is there another one that I'm missing, Ben? He said Moderna. Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca are the three that the, the big Johnson, ones. Johnson, Johnson. Excuse me, Johnson and Johnson's the one shot, and you're done one. The, there's you know kind of conflicting research over whether that one's as effective. Um, but again, all this stuff is very new. Uh, but the idea that um, you know, like let's think of open source coding, for example, like open source technology is like someone's definitely someone's making money off of the thing. Like, I mean, you know, Minecraft, for example, is obviously hugely uh, um, profitable, you know, for the, for the developers, but they also within that environment, you know, you can like do mods and, and like they make the code available to a degree. Maybe I'm overstating the case there, but certainly was always the case with games in the past, like doom and quake and stuff. They were very like early to the, scene with being like, Hey, here, here's our code. You can, you can totally mod it and do whatever you want. And it creates this very robust and interesting community of like people adding their own spin on the thing. You know, uh, this is a very silly and frivolous, you know, um, comparison to what would happen if vaccine IP was made more publicly available. It would, it would mean that the generics quote unquote would happen much more quickly. Uh, and it would just ultimately lead to more access, right? That's the argument of these like pool, vaccine proponents right yeah the idea is that the species is at a crisis point and this has officially become something where we can sort out who gets credit later we need the best and brightest minds working together as quickly as possible with as little red tape as possible and uh bill gates i believe the or the bill and melinda gates foundation created this thing called the COVID-19 Act Accelerator, right? Which, which was meant to have that sort of crowdsourcing best and brightest minds approach while also insisting that intellectual property rights will not be, like, will be respected, will not be violated, meaning that, for example, if you are a lab in India and you and you can make, you, you, this is a vast oversimplification, but let's say you and I are running a lab in India and we get our hands on the, the Pfizer recipe, let's call it that, and we know that we can manufacture this and then just from our little lab, we could vaccinate hundreds and hundreds of people, but we haven't run this past Pfizer. We just kind of stole their recipe. That's right. a violation of their IP, right? Yeah, but it's also like so, you know, people in <laughs> India, people in India need the need the vaccine. And um there's a report from the World Health Organization uh from February 5th of 2021 that says the following. Uh, this is uh the kind of rundown without going into the whole uh, set of remarks from the uh, so it's the WHO Director General's opening remarks at the media briefing on COVID-19 5th February 2021. Uh, and I'm just going to read through this. Globally, the number of vaccinations has now overtaken the number of reported infections. But more than three quarters of those vaccinations are in just 10 countries that account for almost 60 percent of global GDP. Around 130 countries with 2.5 billion people are yet to administer a single dose. Mm. That's and a problem. Yeah, that's a huge problem because we're also seeing, you know, inequality coming out, uh, countries that don't have a ton of budget to throw at the private pharmaceutical entities 
or even enough uh, enough have to get on the waiting list uh, everybody agrees there's a problem it's just people are people are disagreeing about how best to approach it I, we do know I, I, we do know that there is a fight over this in the news right now like uh, just a week ago the intercept reported that most us residents agree a, a new poll have found that most U- residents of the us want the government to break drug company monopolies. They don't think patents should be holding up the rollout of uh, treatments for COVID-19. But then on the in the same week, statnews.com released, uh, released an article saying that there was no evidence that having patents slows access to vaccines. So people are fighting about, I, I don't know, it seems like it could be just a bunch of folks fighting over who gets money at the end of the day. Uh, but it's like the worst time to have that argument, right? Totally. Can we just sue later? Yeah. Presuming enough people survive. Yeah. The court let's system to let's exist? save lives now and then sue later. You know, save your pissing contest for after, after people are actually, you know, vaxxed. Noel, at this point, I propose we pause for a word from our sponsor, uh, maybe Bill Gates, who knows, <laughs> and return. I concur. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back uh, talking about Bill Gates, war criminal. <laughs> Not really, Ben. And, and that's the whole thing: is that Bill Bill Gates and his foundation wield so much influence over this conversation, um, and they have come out in saying that this intellectual property stuff and that respecting these IP rights is not a barrier to vaccination globally. And, and yeah, you know, they're supposed to be this like this, you know, voice of reason in global health, you know, their, their whole deal with like preventing malaria and, and pandemics and in other countries and developing nations. But it would seem that that image is counter to this particular line, because this WHO report kind of says it all. Um, and, and the initiative that kind of um the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation seems to be pushing back against is something called the COVID-19 Technology Access Pool, or CTAP, mm -hmm. which I love. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is the idea, uh, uh, this initiative to create voluntary licensing of technologies. I'm reading this directly from the WHO report in a non-exclusive and transparent way by providing a platform for developers to share knowledge, intellectual property and data. That seems great to me. And it seems conducive to like getting the damn thing done, right? Yeah, yeah. That seems like a that seems like a very a pragmatic approach. Uh, there, there's something else that was troubling me in that article that we're referencing uh, from the New Republic. It doesn't seem like there's an ethical basis to the arguments against ignoring the patent system for for you know global treatment of COVID-19. The New Republic notes, the closest Gates has come to conceding that vaccine monopolies inhibit production came during a January interview with South Africa's Mail and Guardian. When asked about the growing intellectual property debate, he responded, quote, at this point, changing the rules won't make any additional vaccines available. And the reporter takes issue with this and says, you know, there's an implication, not to be too Dennis Reynolds about it, but there's an implication when you use the phrase at this point. And the implication is that before now, there was a moment when changing IP rules yeah. could have made a difference. Like it's now we've basically kicked the can so far down the road that, you know, we, it's not going to do any good now. But that's not true either, right? Because the thing in this WHO uh, report or these remarks um, that makes so much sense because there are um, facilities that are stepping up and saying, hey, 
we're, we we have facilities that could be used to manufacture these to increase production capacity for vaccines, specifically in uh, Africa, Asia, and Latin America, which are places that are desperately in need of more vaccines. And I, I believe I heard a report not terribly long ago, um, specifically talking about how Africa, based on the current situation, may not get vaccines for like years. Which is terrible. You know, for decades and decades, countries on the African continent have imported 99% of vaccines, like as an average. So it's not a, it's not a domestic business. And COVID, from what I've seen reported, has inspired some political leaders in the continent to try to bring that manufacturing home, to make it domestic. But you're right. This was also reported by Reuters just yesterday. In fact, uh, it seems that countries on the continent are overwhelmed by the vaccination challenge to the level of infrastructure, too. Like Ghana received 50,000 COVID-19 vaccine doses from India, but hadn't been able to train enough staff to distribute them. Right. You know what I mean? And and I'm sorry. That's why I shouldn't recall things off the top of my head. Uh, I think there was a concern about, you know, maybe it was in like the most alarmist terms possible that, that Africa could be left out in the cold for a very long time. But because of some of these kind of vaccine sharing uh, initiatives from the World Health Organization, something called the COVAX program, um, which is uh, delivering uh, doses to Africa. And their goal is to supply 600 million doses to Africa. But even that's only enough to vaccinate, vaccinate 20% of the population. Yeah. And I know we mentioned uh, in that wanted poster for Bill Gates, uh, I know we mentioned that some of the accusations seem to range away from COVID-19 specifically. So they say um, he's sterilizing millions and millions of people non-consensually in India and Africa. And then they throw in genetically engineering food, which always mm-hmm. drives you crazy. That's that's like number seven. Mm-hmm. The reason they're putting that in there is to prey on other fears and to somehow associate them with the various flavors of Bill Gates' COVID-19 conspiracies. but. Noel, I think we're making a pretty good case that I don't know if you would call it a conspiracy, but there's definitely something more, uh, something financial, political, maybe from some proponent's perspective, ethical yeah. about, about COVID-19 uh, and how it should be handled. So is so no, we don't think there's any proof that Bill Gates is like microchipping people. Uh, or making them get 5G in their heads Mm. uh, through a vaccine. But there's a pretty solid case to be made that uh, his position and his various NGOs he influences, that his his position on IP might be holding up, like it might be costing lives. Yeah. That's the argument, right? It is the argument, and I think there's, there's some sand to that. Uh, much more so than any of these other things uh, on this list, which ends, by the way, in saying Bill Gates' crimes disguised as charity are the single greatest threat to the world economy, world health, world peace, and human rights. His agenda is one world government, one world currency, and a culled, microchipped population of vaccinated robots. We must end his reign of terror now. 
I love the end of this because we must end his reign of terror. This final sign off. Um, it's we must end his reign of terror, exclamation mark, and then double space now, exclamation mark. So I love picturing somebody reading all this and just like, what if you had never heard of Bill Gates? And all you're learning about the guy is this wanted poster. And then you get to the end and you're having these, uh, you know, these oh sh moments as your eyes are dilating and you're freaking out and it's all starting to come together. And then you get to the end and you go, we must end his reign of terror. And you're like, okay, well, we'll get to it at some point. And then you read that last line. Now. It's got to be go, now. Oh, okay, wait. No, right. now, not Thursday. Call, call to action. Very, <laughs> right. Yeah. Look. <laughs> I know we're living in weird times. There's no question about that. It's easy to go down rabbit holes. And, and uh, you know, we've talked about how conspiracy theories oftentimes are, are, a, are a coping mechanism. You know, it's easier to blame some, you know, governmental boogeyman or, or some evil genius mad scientist, you know, gajillionaire for all these things instead of just accepting that sometimes the world is just, entropy and, and, and chaotic, you know? Uh, yeah, I sound like a broken record when I say it, but there is ultimately a cognitive comfort food when you talk about um, thing, things like this that could be dismissed. I, you know, everybody knows I have, I have a lot of problems with the term conspiracy theory because totally. there are real conspiracies, but this kind of stuff, um, you're right. It's, it's comforting to think that there's someone at the wheel, even if that person... As someone you think is evil, still better than an uncaring universe with a fairly certain guaranteed uh, expiration date for our solar system. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, also the idea that um, people in charge of things, very powerful people, are also still people, which means at times they don't make the right decision. And there are incompetent people. With a lot of power. Right. That, that's even more frightening than an evil person. It really in some is. Ways. And all of the things that are listed on here, I mean, there, you know, there certainly is citizen surveillance technology going on. Uh, but it's like, you know, by the CIA uh, or Apple. You know what I mean? Like, this is all very real stuff. Um, our food has been genetically engineered with GMOs. There's no question about that. These are all real things. Uh, there is genocide. There, we've seen instances of, of of women and young girls being unwillingly sterilized. You know, eugenics and, and and stuff throughout history. The COVID nineteen pandemic has has been terrifying, and it's easy to you know. I mean, even there's a lot of political rhetoric during the Trump administration of trying to make that boogeyman specifically China. You know, and like, and as though they did it on purpose or something, or at the very least were grossly negligent and 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 should pay. And, and it became this charged rhetoric that has caused a lot of anti-Asian hate crime. Right. Yeah. The um, I appreciate the idea that there these there are contextual factors at play here. It's not occurring in a vacuum. There are precedents. There are proven cases of skullduggery unclean actions, uh, great injustices on the part of various authorities, you know, up to in, and including human experimentation, uh, more so more so than the average person might suspect. But in this case, it feels like the real conspiracy, if conspiracy there is, is uh, one very powerful person saying, hold on, we need to keep the patent system going. We need to hold the line or the boundaries of intellectual property because that is more important than allowing, 
you know, some segment of the global population to live? Yeah. That's, that's the question. If you want to know what the price of your life is worth, that is, that, that's a very similar conversation to what they're having now about IP, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I completely agree. And, and it's so dismissive, the, the position of, 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 uh, of the Gates Foundation, it seems, that it has to be tied just specifically to like, well, this is, well, this is how, where our money comes from. If there's no IP, then I don't own Windows 95 anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like a, a Pandora's box kind of situation, a badger and bag situation. If you open up IP for this, then it's like all going to be willy nilly and, you know, up will be down and, and, it, and, it, and it just, it, it shatters the whole foundation. Uh, that that this man built his fortune on, which again, of course, IP should be a thing. We should, you know, people who come up with ideas should own them and, and be able to profit from them. But it's the same with like, you know, when we talk about doctor bills and like what a weird sliding scale all that is. And you say, oh, these people work really hard to get into medical school and, you know, should be paid well. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that like an aspirin should cost, you know, $500 or whatever. There should be more transparency in that kind of stuff because it's people's lives. Well, think about it. Yeah. And I understand there's valid fear when it comes to the idea of, of losing IP and the money and the investment. But what would have happened if Jonas Salk patented the polio vaccine? That is the question that I have for people who are strongly on the side of IP. Uh, because one thing I know, regardless of everyone's opinions in that conversation, uh, one thing I know is that we will probably not have polio. I'll probably be in a debate with someone who also doesn't have polio. And the reason that they do not have polio is because Jonas Salk created the polio vaccine and did not patent it. So it could go around the world more quickly. And ultimately, I think that is a good thing. I respectfully disagree with people who would put intellectual property over the livelihood of another human being. And you know what? Maybe Bill Gates should take some Ebo game. Maybe that's what <laughs> it needs to happen. He needs to have a good vision quest. Open his uh, third eye up a little bit. Maybe that'll chill him out. Uh, no, I agree. And Ben, this has been a really uh, illuminating, con- both of these have been, you know, very uh, illuminating conversations to have with you. And I, I very much uh, enjoyed it. Um, but you're right. There's darkness and, and, and light and, you know, uh, silver linings in both of these. Like, hopefully this Bill Gates stuff and, and these conversations will move in the direction of, kind of chilling out on this IP over Uber Alice kind of mentality. Uh, but, but, you know, with people like Bill Gates pushing that narrative in the opposite direction, that's a lot harder. So Bill, if you're listening, come on, man. <laughs> Try some Ebo gate. Uh, that's our show. Thank you so much as always for tuning in. As we said at the top, our compatriot Matt is on adventures returning soon. Uh, very much says hello to everyone. Uh, We want to hear from you. We want to hear your position on IP, on vaccines, on Bill Gates, because, of course, that's not the only thing that the guy has done. He's also, um, fun fact, back in the day, he was he was kind of into computers. Uh, Also, let us know your experiences with Ibogaine, your warnings about it, your position on psychedelics as medicine overall. We cannot wait to hear from you. We try to make it easy to find us online. 
That's right. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're Conspiracy Stuff. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. And if you don't sip those social meds, you can also give us a call directly, as we said at the top of the show, 1-833-STDWYTK. Uh, three minutes, they are yours. Give yourself a, a cool nickname. Uh, tell us what's on your mind. Let us know if we can use your story. Share it with your fellow listeners. Uh, and, you know, uh, while you're on the internet, why not hop on over and give us a review if the spirit so moves you? Ah, oh, please, let the spirit move you and groove you. Uh, over to Apple Podcasts, where you will leave a favorable review, if you please. And if you don't want to do any of that, you can do something a little more old-fashioned. Uh, Bill Gates would approve. Um, send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.